0: Lord God, we come, we offer to you this time when we gather round your word. Help us to hear what you need us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Something that I've noticed over the last couple of years has been that many people are putting up their Christmas decorations that little bit earlier. Uh, th- th- there have always been those who have had their tree up around almost as soon as it turns November. But they were few and far between and people made fun of them really. About it. But over the last couple of years things have been a bit different. And I suppose one of the reasons people have given is that with all the doom and gloom of the last couple of years, we've just needed something to brighten things up a bit and uh, give us a bit of cheer. Many of us might feel that we've not had much to rejoice about over the last couple of years. And I said last week that Advent plays, in some ways plays a similar purpose for, uh, for Christmas as Lent does for Easter. We reflect on the darkness as the world turns a corner and more light begins to emerge. And that's why in the Northern Hemisphere we mark Advent and Christmas at this time of year. But cheer and joy are themes that crop up in the Advent season. And in some traditions, the third Sunday in Advent is known as Gaudete Sunday. Hence the song with which I opened this morning. And Gaudete is a Latin word which means rejoice. My extensive research, by which I mean Google and Wikipedia, tell me that it gets its name from the first line of the Latin Mass on that Sunday, which was taken from our, in our reading in Philippians this morning. Gaudete in domino semper iterum dico gaudete. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice. It's not a word we use a lot, certainly outside church. I might be wrong. Maybe I just move in grumpier circles than you. But it kind of feels more like a news headline type word rather than one we kind of use in everyday speech. And reflecting on that, I find myself wondering, what makes people rejoice today? What causes the people have to rejoice? I did slightly less extensive research. This time I just did news searches on Google. But they revealed quite a few from this week alone. Preston North End fans rejoice as Ryan Lowe is officially unveiled as their new manager. And they're not alone. Not even up north. Coronation Street fans rejoice as Roy Cropper to return at Christmas. Vegans rejoice. Aldi are selling a fab range of plant-based wines. Now hold on a second. Fermented grape juice. Are grapes not a plant? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just missing something here. Ladies with longer ring fingers than your index fingers, and you're all looking now, Rejoice. You may be stronger, says study. Train passengers, rejoice. Now book trains with reduced fares. And I could go on. Those were just five out of more than seven and a quarter million results. So maybe we used the word a lot more than I thought. But that word rejoice, it crops up in both our readings this morning. Zephaniah called on the people to sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. And Paul in a letter to some early Jesus followers in a city called Philippi said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. But if you've come along this morning, and like so many around us, we feel that we've not had a lot to rejoice about lately. And we could do it with a bit of cheer. There is an extra dimension to these readings this morning. Because neither of those passages were written from a place where joy was an obvious response. Paul was writing from a prison cell to a bunch of people who weren't finding life easy. Sephaniah was active about 600 years before Jesus was born. About 100 years before this, the northern kingdom, the bulk of the people which had come out of Egypt, 10 of the 12 tribes had been conquered by Assyria, never to re And that left only two of the tribes in the south. And that was the land called Judah, where Sephaniah prophesied and worked. Sephaniah was actually somebody of noble birth. He was the great, great grandson of a king called Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the very few kings after David to be viewed in any way positive light. And it's believed that Sephaniah had access to the royal courts and was probably among a group of advisors who supported the king of his day, who was called Josiah. And Josiah was one of the other few that got a good write-up in Kings and Chronicles. But between Hezekiah and Josiah, there had been a couple more kings. Manasseh and Ammon. And, well, things hadn't been so great in their time. The worship of Baal and Astarte had become incredibly common. While Josiah was on tent and reform, many of those around him were less keen. The people around him would pay lip service to God one minute, then be off worshipping other gods the next. Crime was rampant. Merchants cheated their customers. Widows were left in poverty. Those who had power abused it. Not at all like today. Judah was a mess. And for the vast majority of his short books, Sephaniah pulls no punches. He tells them they're a mess. He warns them of impending judgment and destructions. But you know, prophets can be quite contrary souls. When people feel comfortable, Or complacent and think everything's going nice and smoothly. That's when prophets tend to speak challenging words of warning. And that's what we get from most of Zephaniah. But when it all seems bleak and hopeless and they've painted a black a picture as they possibly can, often that is when they speak the words of hope and comfort. Such as we've seen in our readings in the last couple of weeks as well. And that's what we get in our reading from Sephaniah. He's had pretty much no good news so far. Have you ever had somebody say to you, do you want the good news or the bad news first? You take the bad news first, and then they tell you that the good news is that there is no good news. Yeah, well, Sephaniah is a bit like that. But just when it seems as bleak as it can possibly be, Sephaniah suddenly gets this call to Rejoice. The thing is, if you're feeling down, grumpy, stressed, and then somebody comes along and says, cheer up, how well do you normally receive it? And although joy may be an emotion, to rejoice is an intentional The word rejoice literally means return to joy. Or more precisely, return to the source of your joy. It's about lifting our gaze beyond the circumstances and turning them towards the God who's in control of all things. And that's not the same as denial. It's not pretending our worries don't exist. It's about keeping them in proper perspective. Viewing them in the light of God for us is the God who gives himself to us in Jesus. And there are three reasons I didn't intend to do this, but I've actually written a three-point sermon this morning. I want to touch on why Zephaniah calls on the people to rejoice. Sadly, they're not alliterative. So he's calling on them to rejoice in God's forgiveness, God's strong presence, and God's love. God's forgiveness, God's strong presence, and God's love. I'll take them in turn. The first is God's forgiveness. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. The Lord has taken away your punishment, He has turned back your enemy. I came across a lovely story this week. And it concerns a writer called Gordon MacDonald. He had just given a lecture when a Nigerian lady, a doctor at a very distinguished hospital, came to thank him for what he had shared. He said, Oh, he asked her for her name, and she gave him an a name before adding, Well, at least that's my American name. He says, Well, do you have another one? She says, Yeah, yeah, I've got a Nigerian name. And she asked him what that was, and she gave him a different one. And he says, oh, that's a lovely name. Does it have any meaning? And she says, yes. It means child who takes the anger away. Child who takes the anger away. And he found that fascinating. And he asked her about the origin of the name. And she spoke of how when when they were younger, her grandparents had not approved of the match between her mother and father. And they actually forbade the marriage. But the couple were very much in love and went ahead anyway. And as a result, they became estranged from their families. Then the mother got pregnant and gave birth to her. And when the grandparents held their granddaughter for the first time, all of the hostility evaporated. The writings of Sephaniah speak strongly of judgment, of punishment even. The people had turned their back on God and would face the consequences. But even at the bleakest point, Sephaniah was saying forgiveness was possible. A new start was possible. And that's why this reading is appropriate for this season of Advent when we're invited, not just to acknowledge the darkness of the seas, or even the darkness of our world, but the darkness within us, our own part in the brokenness of the world. But not to be left as a shamed mess. But to know that even when it seems bleakest, God is committed to, to a different story to a fresh start and that's why he comes to us in Jesus over the next couple of weeks we are going to reflect on a child in a manger and as we look on that child we realise God hasn't given up on us he has come to be amongst us to be with us to break down the walls of hostility not that god had towards us but that we had built up towards god to let us know that whatever we bring to him forgiveness is possible however we've messed up he can make us new we can know forgiveness and might I say, that's a reason to rejoice. But he doesn't uh, just stop there. He goes on to tell us we can rejoice in God's strong presence. Twice Zephaniah says this The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The Lord your God is with you. A mighty warrior. Who saves. At this time of year we're reminded of lots of prophecies about God. And sending a saviour into the world. But the vast majority we'll read over the next few weeks are about a human messianic type figure. Ours is an age which can be quite sceptical about our leaders probably always been the case, but today we have access to far more information and so we can be very much more aware of reasons to be cynical. But the people of Zephaniah's day were a little different. By the time of Zephaniah, people had witnessed so many corrupt, flawed leaders that any hope of such a figure was beginning to wane. Hezekiah and Josiah may have led well. But for a supposedly blessed chosen people, the vast majority of those who led them just led them further and further into decline. And even the reforms of Josiah would be short-lived. And within 20 years of his death, Babylon would overthrow Judah. But Zephaniah's hope was different. Zephaniah wasn't hoping that a human saviour was going to come along and make everything right. It was about God breaking into our world. We would have hope because God would act. Because God would make his home with us. Over the next few weeks, we will look at that child in a manger. And we will see that his name is Emmanuel. God with us. In Jesus, God comes into the world not to be a political warrior. But so much more. He comes to face down everything that would keep us from the life God has for us. To be quite honest, Jesus doesn't look much like a mighty warrior, he doesn't fight violence with violence. He enters into the very depths of human experience. He goes to the cross and takes on himself all of the sin and the brokenness of the world. Jesus suffered and is killed, and it, but overcomes in resurrection. And because of him, we know that nothing in life or death can separate us from the love of God. And he has promised that he will be with us whatever we face. He says things like, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Behold, I am with you always. To the very end of the age. That doesn't mean we'll always necessarily feel like that. There will be times when that rejoicing, returning to the source of true joy, will need to be an intentional act. In Philippians Paul makes the same point. He ties rejoicing with God's presence. He says, "The Lord is near." So we can bring anything to him. Just as we are, however we're feeling, and present our requests to God. The problem a promise isn't to Bypass the struggle, but to be with us in it. It's a reminder that we are never abandoned or forgotten. God isn't caught short going, Oh, I never knew they were experiencing that. And God has not only overcome for us in Jesus, by His Spirit, He is with us strengthening us in the struggles of this life. And that can offer a peace which just seems inexplicable at times. Whatever we face, we are not alone. Our God is Emmanuel, God with us, God on our side. But above all, we can rejoice not just because of God's forgiveness and God's strong presence, but we are held within God's tender love. About 15 years ago, an American university did a survey on what views people had of God. What were the words and ideas that came into their mind when they first thought about God? And the vast majority of the responses they found, about 95%, could broadly be split into four categories. There were around 32% who believed in an, author- an authoritarian God. One who is engaged in our lives, but he's really angry. Another 24% believed in a distant God. Really the kind of the opposite. He's although He's not really interested. Better things to do. Around 16% believed in a critical God. Not actually engaged in the world, but certainly disapproving of everything that's going on. Less than one in four, 23%, believed in a benevolent God. A loving, forgiving, accepting God. I get it, those are American figures. But experience suggests that loving, forgiving, accepting, they're not generally the first words many people think of when they think of God. But listen how Zephaniah describes God. He will take great delight in you. In his love... He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. A better translation of that middle section is that he will quieten you with his love. He will shh you. In that sense of a child who is upset, frightened, crying, wailing, and the parent holding them soothing them telling them it's going to be alright not being a parent I've not had that much experience of this but I do remember once looking after a France child and we were in a playground and suddenly a dark cloud came overhead and it just started to pour down. And there was no shelter to be had anywhere, except for a little sort of housey bit at the top of a slide. It was a small wooden shelter and you know, it, it was okay. It, it was sheltered, but it wasn't really built to withstand that volume of water. But we got him underneath that. And bless him, because this would rain went on for a while. I mean, just nowhere to go. And he was so stoical, despite the fact that he was clearly quite scared. And the only words he said, I remember at one point, was just, a bit wet. And I so wanted to hold him and soothe him and tell him it was going to be all right. Unfortunately, I wasn't under the shelter, so it was a lot wetter outside where I was that wouldn't have helped him at all. But I have done it recently with Siggy, actually. we When she had got very frightened by the noise of traffic on Kenton Road, we had to go to the vets in rush hour. And uh, she was frightened. She actually dug a hill said so she wouldn't move. And I had to pick her up. And the poor little thing was trembling. So I picked her up and I held her close to me. And I started to sing a little song. Siggy, you'll be okay. Siggy, you'll be okay. Yes, you're right to be quite wary. It really is quite scary. But, Siggy, you'll be okay. Copyright 2021, Siggy and Andrew Jackson. Siggy insists on a songwriting credit, but she will take all her royalties in squeezy cheese and squeaky toys. But that's the image that God offers through Zephaniah. Of a God who doesn't want to leave us hurting. Who wants to hold us and soothe us when we hurt. And rejoice loudly with us when we do well. He's a God who hasn't given up on us. Who loves us completely and unconditionally. Who came for us in Jesus so that we could know his forgiveness. Could experience his strong presence. And come to know just how loved we are. And those are three good reasons to rejoice. That even when we mess up, forgiveness is possible. That whatever we face, God will be with us. And with God for us, nothing can be against us. Because we are loved with a faithful, everlasting love from which nothing can separate us. There's a great story about the guys on the screen now Jordan of Saxony. He was the second Master General of the Dominican Order in the 13th century. Dominicans are known for being quite strict, but one night during night prayer, one of the novices had a giggling fit. And it quickly proved contagious. And pretty soon all of the novices were giggling. And one of the senior brothers was really quite shocked by this and tried to threaten them into silence. But Jordan rebuked them, saying... Who made you novice master? And then he told the young man, Laugh on. You may well laugh. For you have escaped from the devil. Who formerly held you in bondage. Laugh away dear sons. So laugh away dear church. Rejoice Harrow Baptist. For the Lord is near. You are forgiven. Wherever life takes you and whatever you face, God will always be with you. A strong presence fighting for you. And you are loved. You have always been loved. And you always will be loved. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.